Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Brian, and I officially have been on the job as a new lead pastor for about two hours. So <laughs> this is a thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I wasn't fishing for the clap, I promise. But, um, you know, this is such a interesting Sunday to start, you know, not just it being a new year and everything, but we knew John was going to be out of town a couple more days with some travel he had going on. And actually, Brandon was supposed to preach just to do me a solid at least so I could ease into the job a little bit, you know, and not just have to hit the ground running. I get a text from him last week on Wednesday. He said, hey, dude, I'm not, I'm not feeling so hot right now. I text him back. I'm like, well, how not so hot are you right now? And we get on the phone on Thursday, and the dude sounds like he has every single COVID variant and flu bug that ever came into existence. I'm like, well, that's probably not a good idea to have you um, on the stage during that. So I found out I was preaching this weekend about two days ago. So, and then I'm stuck in Florida with my in-laws for, not like that's a bad thing. I love my in-laws. Okay. I love you guys. But um, I couldn't get out of Florida. I couldn't get a flight. All the flights just kept canceling and canceling, canceling. I'm like, I am trapped in Florida. I'm never going to get home. How do I get out of here? And finally, I got the very last flight back yesterday, thank the Lord, so I could actually be here in person. And obviously, we had everything going on with the fires and dynamics in our state, and now the first snow of the year. Just a lot of things are happening at once. So happy new year, everybody. Um, this is going to be a fun Sunday. I'm so glad you're all here. But really, we're going to have a good time. I want to let you guys know, though, um, you know, I was 19 years old when I really got a clear call from God into vocational ministry, it's just what he had for me. And I knew that moment. He, he gave me a vision that I was going to be a senior pastor. Like, I just knew without it, that is what I was made to do. I had no idea that all these years later that the church God had in mind for me was Northern Hills and these wonderful people in this awesome place. And I want to let you guys know, I am just so honored and privileged to join the family in this way. I'm excited to have you guys on the ride with me. I hope you know how to buckle up because we're about to go for a ride, all right? So hands and feet inside the ride at all times, okay? And we're going to have some fun today, though. I want to start with a little question. What would you be willing to sacrifice if I told you I could guarantee that all your financial problems would be solved? You wouldn't have to worry about money ever again, show up to work again. You're, just, you're set. What would you be willing to sacrifice or give up for that? Or maybe let me go from a different angle. What would you, what price would you be willing to pay to be guaranteed that you could have perfect health every single day of your life until your last living day? You would never have to worry about health again, just perfect and pristine. Or one, one more possible scenario for the, for the single people in the room. Maybe what price would you be willing to pay to have a guarantee that you were going to end up with the most perfectly compatible, idealistic spouse you could ever imagine? That married people is your chance to whisper up and say, don't worry, honey, that was you. I promise, okay? But, okay, here's the thing. I get this is a little bit unrealistic and, and maybe even impossible, but maybe let's broaden up a little bit. What is something you want really bad right now? So what's something you just really, really want? And what would you be willing to sacrifice for it? Like, what, what price would you be willing to pay to have whatever that thing that's coming to mind to you? And I'm asking all of these questions just to lead to this one question here. How bad do you want to see God work in your life? Do you even have an idea of what that would look like if it happened? Like, would you, would you be able to describe it? What would you be willing to sacrifice for it if you know you could have it? And what I find interesting is that most people I talk to, 
they have a vague idea of what they want in life at least. Something around usually financial goals, career aspirations, maybe a relationship status thing. But if I talk to people about what they're really hoping to come out of their relationship with God, they usually can't even give me a super clear answer. God is kind of like the one who helps us get those things we want, and then he's kind of like the, in case of emergency, press this button type of thing we go to when we really have a problem. But then we kind of stop there. That's about as far as we get. And our expectations don't really go higher. That's kind of where we set the bar. And I'm just wondering, why are so many of our prayers centered around just personal comforts and material advantages? How come we don't have a higher aspiration for our spiritual life than we do for sometimes our own material life? And there's actually a Christian historian who wrote this. His name was Wayne Krause. He said this, those unfamiliar with history will see that there is a level of Christian experience unknown to our generation. That we are merely paddling around the shore of an infinite ocean of grace. I am just wondering how many Christians go their entire lives not even realizing they spent the whole time in the kiddie pool. And I want to let you guys know, just with the new year, this is not about how to lose 10 pounds. I don't care what your resolutions are. Let's just be honest. We're all going to break them in a couple weeks anyways. You know what I really want to do? I want to turn the spiritual temperature up in your life. I want to turn it up in this church. And I want us to go after these things that this person was talking in this one quote. And we're going to have one single verse today. It is foundational for the series. I think this could be foundational for this whole year and set up where I'm hoping we're going to go as a church. And it's found in Hebrews 11. You can follow along if you want. And read in verse 6. This is what the writer says. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pray for one quick moment. God, right now, I pray you speak to us. Let us hear from your word. I pray it would nourish us, fill us up, and challenge us to strive for the life you were calling us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Can I get a good amen, everybody? Amen. Now, let me just be honest. There are some things that really do not please me. I found out this last week how much I am not pleased by canceled flights. Um, I am not pleased by bad traffic. My kids whining about pointless things is very displeasing to me, and it happens frequently. I'm going to be really honest. You know what? The Broncos don't please me right now. Not pleased. Not pleased by my team right now, Broncos. But what's interesting to me is the writer of Hebrews hones in on this one particular thing that God is not pleased by. And we just read it. He said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now just think about that. You can have great morals. You can be a generous person helping people need. You can show up to a wide variety of church functions. But if faith is not part of the equation, God is not happy. And I know sometimes when we talk about this word faith, it kind of sounds like this nebulous word that means everything and nothing at the same time, kind of like love. Like, what does that even mean? Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not just talking about like blind acceptance. I'm not even talking about wishful thinking. We're talking about that there are realities that we cannot see with our eyes that are just as substantial in our lives as everything else. And it informs the way we operate. Here's the deal. If you live by faith, you are living with a totally different lens than the rest of the world. You don't just interpret your life through your present circumstances or your bank account or what's on the news. 
you are looking at the declarations and promises of God and ordering your life around them and seeing them proved true in your life as you take these steps of faith. And this writer is saying this is a baseline requirement for anybody who wants to experience the things God has for them. Faith must be a component. But he actually unpacks what this really looks like. What does it even mean to even live by faith and please God in this way? He goes on, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Now, what I actually find kind of interesting is I think we don't really appreciate certain things until they're taken away in our lives. I mean, you don't even notice your knees or your shoulders or your back until it starts hurting, right? And then you really start to appreciate good health. You don't even think about your car when it starts in the morning until it doesn't. Then you really, really start to notice electricity. You don't even care about a microwave until it won't turn on and you're afraid that you're going to starve to death. And I bet every single person in this room, you would really start appreciating air if it started disappearing in this room right now. How many of you guys thought about air when you walked into this building today? And here's where, here's where I'm going with this. Sometimes the stuff that is most present in your life is the thing you notice the least. And I think this is how it works with God too. He is so ever-present in our lives, we become blind to his very reality. And the writer of Hebrews knows that we can take God's very existence for granted. And this sounds so elementary, right? This is like kindergarten Christianity, Brian. Why are we even talking about this? But we are the ones who make this complicated. We complicate this. Do you guys know what the fastest growing religious category in America is right now? It's nuns. That's the fastest growing category in our country right now. It's 20% of the population. And a, a spiritual nun is somebody who just doesn't really believe in anything in particular. Just doesn't really have any strong convictions either way. Not really sure. Just kind of going with it. I'm going to tell you right now. To me, that is the definition of Colorado spirituality. I mean, the vast majority I come into contact with, they're not super anti-God or Christianity or Jesus, but they're definitely not super pro either. They're just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just kind of going to the mountains. I want to go skiing and go camping, and I'm going to live my life. Just leave me alone. That's what I want to do. And yet, let's just be honest too. Most of us, even us in this room and online, which by the way, the varsity people are in the room right now, okay? JV is online in their pajamas right now. We love you guys, but the committed ones are in the room right now. We love you, but we are the varsity team in the room, all right? But most of us don't really have a fully cooked worldview. Like you look at what a lot of people believe, it's kind of some weird concoction of your childhood experiences, a college philosophy course, some podcasts, and then maybe your horoscope. And it's kind of mashed together. And if you really start poking at it, you can see some of the holes. I had some friends over at my house a couple months ago, and we had this couple over, and I'm like, why not make the conversation awkward? Let's just start talking about God, because why not? And so I just start asking, I say, so what do you guys believe? Like, what's your spiritual history? I'm just kind of curious, like, where you kind of stand. And, and the wife is interesting. She's like, well, she's like, I'm definitely not an atheist. She's like, there's something out there. She's like, I believe in it. I said, okay, well, what do you think it is? She's like, I have no idea. I just believe in it. I was like, okay, okay. So I go to the husband. I'm like, all right, where do you kind of stand? And he's like, I believe in the God of Abraham. I was like, I have literally never heard that before in my entire life. You definitely need to expound on that a little bit. And and so I'm like, okay, I was like, that's interesting, man, because I, I think Abraham really believed in, like, this personal God. He prayed to him, he talked to him, like, it was a real relationship thing. I'm like, so is that kind of how you do it? He's like, oh, no, absolutely not. No, I don't talk to him or anything, but I think he exists. I'm just like, this is fascinating. I'm not even doing this to poke fun. I invited a woman to church for the Christmas Eve services, a good friend of mine. And I was like, hey, come on, do me a salad. I need some friendly faces in the room. Come on, hook me up. Just show up, do me a favor. And I kid you not, she was dead serious. She's like, Brian, 
I cannot cross the threshold of a church. And I was like, what? Like, is there a bounty on your head or something? Like, is somebody coming after you? And she's like, she's like, I can't. I can't cross the threshold of church. She's like, if I cross the doors of church, she's like, God is going to do something to me. Like, I have just done too much stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm like, trust me, I have walked through the doors of a church multiple times. I am the first person who would get struck by lightning or something if that was the case. But she literally could not do it. And she didn't show up. Like, she strongly believed this. And again, I am not making fun. I'm just trying to show all of us have, honestly, these weird quirks and gaps in our worldview. And you might even be here today or online, and you honestly struggle with some of this God stuff. You're not sure where you stand. You're asking questions. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no guilt in that. One of Jesus' own brothers wrote a letter in the New Testament. His name was Jude. He said this in Jude 122, be merciful to those who doubt. The posture of a Christian towards somebody who has a different perspective is not judgment or condemnation. It's grace. Because we all know the faith journey sometimes is a struggle. There's doubt. There's ups and there's downs. There should be real grace in that. And yet, we have to acknowledge, even if you're somebody who would say you don't necessarily believe in God or you don't know where you stand, you have to acknowledge you believe in something. You do. Something is driving your life. And whether it's science or randomness or another religion, you are getting up in the morning, something is motivating you to go to work, to pay your bills, to take care of your family. Something is keeping your life going. And here's what I encourage everybody to do. I think this is a good exercise. You should really ask some hard questions of what you really believe. You owe this to yourself. You should really sit back one day and just be like, why do I believe what I believe? Where did this come from? Like, does this actually play any meaningful role in my life? Do I have glaring inconsistencies between what I say I believe and how my life actually operates? And the reason I even say this is because, to me, there are way too many people out there that are just anesthetized by busyness and consumerism and the demands of life. And we never stop to wrestle with the questions that really matter. Like, is there a God and who is he? And do I need a relationship with this person? This is what Hebrews is trying to drive at. He's like, you need to wrestle this question to the ground. This is way too important just to take this lightly. This is critical. Believing in God. And yet, he adds a whole nother line to this thing. He doesn't stop there. There's a whole nother piece. He says, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards. I'm so amazed by how the entire dynamic in my household changes when I add rewards to the system with my kids. I'm in the season of life where dinner is an absolute war every single night. It is life and death in the bigger household every evening. And every once in a while, I just add a little bit of interesting chaos. And I say, kids, if you eat the dinner, there will be ice cream on the other side of this torture that I'm enforcing on you. And it's amazing. They go from not even being able to eat a pea to becoming ravenous wolves. And they just shovel it's the stuff down like they're some starved children. And I made the massive mistake a few weeks ago at the church of buying my kids some donuts from the cafe. Because now my kids, for them, church is not about God. It's not about Jesus or worship. It's about donuts. This is the building where we get donuts. That's how my kids see it. And here's the thing, I am not against bribery. It can degenerate to that. But there is something that I just love as a father to see my kids appreciate a reward after they've persevered and pushed through something. Like there's something that I just get so much joy out of that. And I'm just wondering, do you think God is good at rewarding? You think he knows how to hook you up? 
you know, so I think people get nervous when we talk about just the rewards and gifts of God sometimes because we get nervous that, oh, is this going to become like some sort of prosperity gospel thing where it's like name it and claim it and God's going to make everybody rich and make your life perfect. But then you got the other side of the spectrum where people are like, no, it's all about God's wrath and he's mad and he's going to judge you and he's not happy about anything. And I'm just thinking we've got a perfectly loving father who knows about every single one of our needs and has every resource of the universe at his disposal. Now, here's the thing. He may not give you exactly what you thought you wanted. He may not give it exactly when you thought you wanted it. But I just have to believe that God is not the type of person that gives socks for Christmas. I just don't think that's his vibe. I think he knows how to give us exactly what we need and even exceed our expectations. But here's where I think the problem is. I think we have the reward system messed up in our minds. We got to fix that. I have one of my best friends here in Colorado. We were out to lunch a couple months ago. And he starts telling me, he's like, Brian, he's like, you know what I just really want in life? Like, this is what I'm going for. He's like, I want to make millions of dollars, like a ton of money. And he probably will. He's one of those people. And he's like, and then I just want to buy a swanky place in Vail. And then I want to load it full of toys that I can enjoy Vail with. And then what I want to do is make it so I am not accountable to anybody. I don't want to have to show up anywhere when I don't want to show up there, answer anybody when I don't want to answer them. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to live fat and happy until I die. And you know what I want to tell him? I want to say, dude, that is a terrible vision for your life. What a waste of potential. That, that's as far as you're going to aim for this thing? And I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice things, but can we just acknowledge that in our culture, we have somehow set it up in our minds where the greatest reward is financial independence and material comforts. Like that is the ultimate goal in life if you can get to that point. And I really believe God has a whole different reward system in his mind in how he wants us to live. I actually was reading a book once, and, it, and this guy talked about how he started praying every single day for God to make him a millionaire. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Another guy looking at God like a, some sort of ATM. And so I'm reading the story. I'm like, okay, where's this going to go? He's like, I prayed every single day, God, make me a millionaire. I will not sleep until you make me a millionaire. Give it to me. I want it. And he said, 10 years later, he's like, God made me a millionaire. He said, God, let me be a part of seeing 1 million people saved and baptized and entered into his family. This man launched and led a movement that brought a million souls into the kingdom of God. And we pray for a parking spot at the grocery store. And this guy's praying for a million souls. I was at a pastor's gathering a couple months ago. I'm going to let you guys behind the curtain on pastors right now. You know what we're all talking about? how nobody's coming back to church. That's all we talk about. Where did everybody go? All our buildings are empty. What do we do? We're all freaking out. It's all we talk about, all right? We're talking about you guys. We're complaining about all of it. Where is everybody? We're talking about you guys, okay? So here's the thing. This pastor comes up after all gripey complaining about church attendance in America, and he's the, he, he just starts reaming into all of us. He's like, guys, butts in seats? Is that what this is about? He's like, is that all we're going to talk about is getting butts in seats? Is that what we've given our lives to, to get people to show up and warm the moderately comfortable seats in our auditoriums and buildings? And he's this Australian guy. He goes, pastors, elevate your vision. Elevate your vision. He's like, surely God wants more for us than this. We need to elevate our vision. Northern Hills, 
I want to elevate our vision. I am not content with butts in seats. I am not content just to drop my kids off the kids' ministry so they can color a picture and I can go home and the rest of my life is totally the same. And I rinse and repeat that 52 weeks a year. I am not content with that. I am not okay with us just throwing some events in the building so we can fill it up and feel like we're doing important work in the world. I am not okay with that. You know what I want? I want to see a genuine, historic move of God in this church. I want the power and presence of God to be so powerfully felt in this place that people are knocking the doors down so they can experience it for themselves. I want the students we send out of this church to literally start revivals in their schools. I want the people in this church to start businesses that fundamentally transform the economic and spiritual fabric of our city and our world. I want Northern Hills to become the central hub for cultivating world-class Christian leaders. Guys, we are not going to send out foot soldiers from this church. We are going to deploy generals for the kingdom of God. I Mark my words. This is being recorded. We will cultivate and send out some of the greatest pastors, worship leaders, business people, Christians that this world has ever seen. They will be developed in this church. They are in our kids' rooms right now. They are in this room. They are in this building. That is what I want for this church. John Wesley was a famous revivalist pastor, launched the Methodist movement. He said this, give me 100 people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergy-related laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Northern Hills, I want to shake the gates of hell. I want to break the foundations of the spiritual climate of our state. And I am just pleading with God. This is my prayer. Are there even a hundred people in this church who are just discontent with the state of things in this church's world who will come with me and have the audacity to believe that there is a God who can and will do this in our day, in our time, through this church? That is what I want. I don't want to stay on the shore. I don't want to swim in the kiddie pool. I need some people who are saying, I'm willing to jump out into the ocean and trust that there is a God who actually wants to reward and do some great things here in Colorado and at Northern Hills. But there's a piece to this that is our responsibility. We have some responsibility here. The very next line, he says, those who earnestly seek him. That's who he rewards. I uh, ran my first marathon a couple years ago. Let me rephrase that. I ran my only marathon a couple years ago. And honestly, marathons are the definition of insanity. You sign up for this race. You got to do months of training. It's grueling. You pay to run the race. They don't pay you. You pay for the torture. It makes no sense in my mind. And yet something led me to sign up for this race and say, you know what? Something on the other end of this is going to be worth it. Like, I just am trusting that this is going to be worth all the pain and sacrifice. It was a faith move for me, to be honest with you. 
What's so fascinating about this earnestly seek line that this writer uses, the idea behind those words actually is that it's seeking out. It's this idea of actually getting out of your comfort zone. There's actually an idea of pain behind those words. And what this writer is trying to say is there is a necessary level of sacrifice that you can not avoid if you want to see God move in your life. And to me, this is how you know if you're taking hold of true faith. Are you willing to pay a price for God to work in your life? Are you willing to sacrifice for it? When was the last time you worked up a real spiritual sweat? When was the last time you were spiritually sore from the exertion of going after God? When was the last time you sought God so hard that it actually hurt? This guy named Charles Finney, who was another famous Christian leader in the last couple hundred years in our country, he said this, I have never known a person to sweat blood, but I've known a person to pray till blood started from his nose. And I've known persons to pray till they were all wet with perspiration in the coldest weather in winter. I have known persons to pray for hours till their strength was all exhausted with the agony of their minds. How many people do you know that have a spiritual life like that? And one person in particular that Charles Finney was referencing was his own personal prayer partner and intercessor. His name was Daniel Nash. Not famous here on earth, very famous in heaven. There's his gravestone. Look at that. Labor with Finney, mighty in prayer. You know that guy must have been some person to have that written on his epithet. Daniel Nash kind of became famous for his intensity going after God. There's actually stories where he would go into towns before they would do these events and he would pray the most violent prayers you've ever heard in your life. He would say things like, God, haunt them in their dreams. Give them no rest. I pray they would be in agony, Lord, for us to come and bring the gospel. Like it was, it was kind of scary actually to read some of his prayers. And there's actually another story where he came into a town before they did some meetings and he rented out this little disgusting basement cellar from this lady because there was nowhere to rent some space. And he goes down in this basement with two other guys. And for three days, they just don't come out. And all she hears is just like these agonizing groans and screaming and yelling. And Finney shows up and she's like, um, what do I do? Are, are people being harmed down there? Is there like illegal activity? They haven't eaten. They haven't done anything. They're not coming out. And he's like, oh, no, they're just praying before the meeting. That's just part of the deal. And just to give you a taste of what God did through this guy in particular, at one particular event, this ended up being called the Rochester Revival, in a six-month period, they saw 100,000 people come into the fold of the church in six months. There's another person I bet you would not know, and it's this guy on the screen. Most unassuming Anonymous person, anybody would ever know him, his name is Yinkai. I know the guy who trained this guy, actually, and he said he is not impressive. <laughs> now, here's what's interesting about Yinkai. He uh, moved to Hong Kong because he just really felt like that's where God wanted him, and he would spend four hours a day in prayer before he did anything else on his knees in this apartment. 
you can actually go to the apartment and you can look at the wood floors there. There are divots in the floors for where he spent all the time praying. And this is a conservative estimate. But they found that through this man, he was able to ignite and lead a movement that saw two million people baptized and brought into churches all across Asia. These are the people who stepped off the shore into the ocean. They paid a massive price. This came at a great cost. But they reaped rewards that we will never be able to fully appreciate in this life. We will only know in heaven some of the rewards that some of these people attained through their massive, earnest seeking of God. And I know hearing some of these stories, you're probably like, okay, those are the all-stars, Brian, all right? That is the elite of the elite, all right? Four hours a day in prayer, my goodness, I got kids, I got bills, I got a mortgage, I got a life to manage. Like, you're talking to me about four days of prayer and sitting in a basement for three days? I ain't got time for three days in a basement, all right? I, I hear what you're saying. I totally understand. But I'm going to ask an honest question today. How much TV do you watch? I mean, some of us, we have enough time to get through every single season of Game of Thrones somehow. We made time for Squid Game. God forbid we miss an episode of Ted Lasso or something like that. I promise I'm not trying to jab too much. I'm not anti-TV or anything like that, but, you know, some of us, we would never miss a Broncos game. You know what blows my mind, actually, is the studies have shown now, for anybody who was born a digital native now and has grown up with devices, by the time they finish their lives, the average person will spend six and a half years of their entire life in total hours on social media. Six and a half years. And the only reason I'm saying that stuff is because I really want to push you a little bit. How bad do you want this? Really, how bad do you want it? Do you really want to see God do a work in your life? It is going to come at a massive cost. This is not for free. There is a real sacrifice involved with this. There's a price. And I actually just want to give a couple practical foundational things because I really believe there's some people in this room and online right now where you're like, Brian, I just, I really want this to be a time in my life where I take that next step. I want to get into that ocean. I want to go to the next level. And this is very meat and potatoes. I know we're at different places on the spiritual spectrum, but I'm hoping these will be some helpful handles for us to get going. There's just three, I think, foundational practices you just got to lean into if you want to see any type of real eternal reward happen in your life. And the first thing is prayer. I mean, this is baseline, right? But prayer is the oxygen for a Christian and their spiritual life. I mean, you really cannot be a true follower of Jesus without this involved in your life. And I know sometimes we, get, we have fits and starts and we don't really know to go with it. I got just a couple practical things just to give you a little bit of momentum in this if you want to start the new year a little bit afresh. There's one tool that I love. It's called the Prayer Wheel. You can find this online. We're going to put some of these resources on our website too as we get going. It's a simple tool where you literally just systematically work your way around the wheel and you pray a little bit in each section. Spend some time praising confession. It's just a way to focus your mind and help you make some progress so you don't just get mind-wandering. I think it's a super helpful tool. So you can find that for yourself. There's actually just a simple four-letter acronym I still use to this day, A-C-T-S, ACTS. A is adoration. Take some time just praising God, you know, and declaring his goodness in your life. Then go to the C, confession. Take some time cleansing your soul and laying down just all the hurts and the hang-ups in your life. T, 
Thanksgiving. Give them thanks, thanks to God for all he's done in your life. There's always something to be thankful for. And then just ask his supplication or seek. Tell God what you need. Make some asks. But literally, sometimes on my commute or just when I'm going around, I'll just be like, all right, run through ACTS real quick. Just keep myself connected. God, it's a simple, simple tool to work. And then maybe for some of you guys who are just looking for something a little bit further, I would just challenge you, get in the book of Psalms. It's designed to be a prayer book. And take a psalm, a verse or the whole thing, and turn it into your own personal prayer. That's what it's meant to be. So like Psalm 23 is a famous one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You say, God, you are my shepherd. You are my provider. You guide me. I need you to meet these needs in my life. You say, I shall not be in want. You make it your prayer. Start just praying through the Psalms. Make it a regular practice. You need to be praying. In Northern Hills, I need to make an ask of you. I need you to be praying for me. That can sound like an arrogant thing to say, but I tell you, I mean that in total humility. If this church is your home, I need to be on your daily prayer list. Myself, my family, and this church. Satan would love nothing more than to take down another young pastor, destroy his family, disgrace the church, give it a bad name in the community. He would love nothing more than that. Your prayers are literally my protection and the power of God in my life. The best thing you can do for yourself to have a good experience at this church is pray for me. Trust me, you will experience all the benefits of that. So I need you to pray for me every single day day. It is a responsibility you have if this is your church, as I pray for you guys too, every single day. That's prayer. The second piece, this won't be shocking, Bible. Getting in God's word. If prayer is the oxygen, Bible is the food. Okay? It's necessary. You gotta be in it. I kind of like that it's a new year because I think this opens people up to just trying some new stuff, taking steps. So just super basic and practical. I would really challenge you, again, even if you're anti-tech, you can download a Bible app. Version Bible app, it gives these awesome Bible plans. Some of them are a day, some of them are five days. You can do a one-year Bible plan, and it will just systematically take you through the entire Bible in a year. Some of you guys, you've never read through the whole Bible. Start it today, and you will be done by the end of the year. You can say you've read the Bible all the way through. I personally yesterday started the McShane one-year Bible reading plan. If you want to look that up online, join me. I just started it yesterday. You can know we're doing it together. So jump on, get a Bible plan going. Don't miss out on it. Make it a part of your daily practice. But there's actually two resources I really like too. For some of you guys, if you read the Bible, you're like, what is going on? Goats are being sacrificed. There's wars happening. What is happening in this book? It makes no sense. I would really encourage you, get a life application study Bible. You just get it off Amazon. You can get a Kindle version of it. Life Application Study Bible, great resource. It has all these footnotes, helps you understand what's happening. There's also the ESV Study Bible, very good. Gives you historical context, helps you understand what is actually happening in this book and why does this matter for my life. Great resources. Get in the Word, guys. Get in it. I've got one more. Fasting. Now, you might hear that and think, well, that doesn't sound like one of the critical, essential disciplines. I think this is the lost discipline of the church. And one of the reasons we are in the predicament we're in and not seeing the results we really want to see. Now, when I say fasting, I'm not talking about a diet plan. This is not a weight loss plan. If you have any type of relationship with food that's complicated or difficult, any type of eating disorder stuff, that is definitely something to work out with a counselor and a, and a good pastor, okay? Because I know that can get dicey. This is not about giving up social media for a week or TV, guys. That's abstinence, okay? That's good, and those are good things to do. Fasting, by definition, is going without particular foods or food in general for a period of time as a way to heighten your spiritual sensitivity, increase your connection with God, and even experience greater levels of his power and presence in your life. That's what fasting is. Jesus expected this of his followers. You read through his teachings, he says, when you fast, you're going to do this if you're serious about following me. 
And he even shows that there is a level of spiritual attainment that you won't get without intense levels of prayer and fast in your life. This is just baseline Christianity, guys. And let me just encourage you with this. If you have never done this before, this is like totally new stuff. You're like, what is he even talking about? I've never heard of fasting. That's not like running fasting. What is he talking about? Let me just say this. Try picking one meal in the week and just skipping it. Pick like a lunch or whatever and take that time just for prayer and time with God. Just one meal a week. And I promise you, when you start feeling that physical hunger, it will drive your spiritual hunger for God. There is a direct connection with that. And that is what it is designed to do. And for some of you guys who maybe have some more experience with this, I would really challenge you, pick a day a week, a 24-hour period where you say, that is my day of fasting. And I'm going to seek God on that day and get my true nourishment from him. I want to challenge you guys to do that. And we'll definitely have more opportunities for you to learn about that and put in resources online. I could cover so much more. But this is how I just want to end, guys. This is the point. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is not a maybe. This is a guarantee. He will reward those who earnestly seek him. I told you guys about that marathon I ran. Just the grueling training, got to pay all this money for it, and I finally get to race day, and I'm running these 26.2 miles, and it is as bad as it sounds, all right? It's terrible. I'm 23 miles in, I got three miles left, and I just have this moment, you know, it's like the second wind, sometimes it's called, I'm like, I don't want to have an ounce of energy left when I run this. I have paid too much money. I've spent too much time. I want to finish this thing strong. So I just start booking it the last three miles. I'm like, I am going to collapse on that finish line if I have to. And it was actually my fastest three miles. And I get to the finish line and I cross it. And I did not expect this. I got so emotional. I was just overwhelmed with this emotion because it was just like this overwhelming sense of just joy and gratitude about just what was accomplished and just knowing I put everything I had on the table. It was so rewarding. And I really feel like I had this moment with God. And I feel like he was just whispering. He's saying, Brian, that is just a taste of what I have in store. If you will run your spiritual race like this, I can do so much more than you could ever ask or imagine. I will exceed all of your expectations if you will just run your spiritual life like this. In Northern Hills, I want you guys to run with me. I want us to go on this race together. I want us to leave it all on the table with this one life we have. I want to see a historic move of God in and through this church in this area and in Colorado. I want to see it. And I am just hoping there are some people here today that would say, deep down in your heart, you know more than anything. You want to see God do a powerful work in and through your life. And you are willing to do anything to see it happen. I am just praying that there are people like this because we have a promise from God that whatever price we have to pay, it is going to be more than worth it. So Northern Hills, let's get out of the kiddie pool and let's go into the ocean. God, I want to pray for this church right now. I am so grateful that you brought me here, Lord, that you allow us in this season, in this moment, to share our lives together in this community of faith. And Lord, I am declaring right now in faith myself that all of the great things you've done at Northern Hills over these last few decades, and they have been great, and you've been so faithful, that they are 
merely foundational for what you have ahead. That you are preparing us for a historic work that is beyond anything we could imagine. And I pray right now that we would be a people that would be willing to earnestly seek, to pay the price, to make the sacrifice, to do whatever it takes to see you move on our behalf. So I pray, God, we would not be content with casual Christianity, with church attendance, but we would strive for the greater things of God and settle for nothing less. I pray for your power and favor on these people and on this place. And we thank you for everything you're going to do in this year and ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.